We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, but today doesn't feel that way. We are divided in more ways than one, and the media and the powers that be all have their own agenda. The people of this great nation no longer care about the truth, they only care about the side they are on. At Poor360, I am trying to change that. We're bringing you the facts and history so we can all learn something and make our own decisions. Tune in every Tuesday to be a part of that journey. Following, following the following is a journey into comics. Journey into comics. A journey into comics. A journey into comics. Journey into comics. Journey into comics. Network. 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 Production. Production. Look forward in time to view alternate futures, to see all the possible outcomes of the coming conflict. How many did you see? Fourteen million six hundred five. How many did we win? Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Journey Into Comics, the podcast that's dedicated to everything nerd. With your host, the podfather himself, Nate Phillips, and introducing his new co-host, Tyler McLaughlin. You should have gone for the head. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of Journey Into Comics. It's Journey Into Comics 266. I am your host, Nate. Today, joining me back again, the world's absolute most phenomenal (laughs) co-hosts. Fuck off if you disagree. Welcome back yet again. Tyler, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Nate? I'm great, man. It's crazy because last week you did a solo show. <clears throat> yeah, I was. Uh, I felt slightly less miserable than you did. Um, so since you were down for the count, I did my best. I thought you did fantastic, man. I thought it was a really great episode. If you guys haven't listened to 265, Baiting Scorsese, please go check it out. Uh, you're a very insightful human, and, and it's. I know it's a very difficult task to... Um, kind of throw your own thoughts at the wall mm-hmm. and keep talking. So I commend you for doing that. I know that's very difficult, and uh, I know that our, our fans enjoyed it, and uh, we had some nice feedback. People said some really nice things, you know, that you know you are the greatest co-host in the world. Took over the show, man. You're the first person to lead this show officially that's not like a, a Fool's Week type thing since Brando left. Well, I appreciate that. Hell yeah, man. Well, I appreciate it, too, because my fucking head got dingied with a stupid migraine. And I was swimming with the fishes, so to speak. And, uh, yeah, man. So, anyways, we're here this week. Um, what is good in your world? Have you done any nerding out? Have you worked on your on your nerd room or anything of that nature? Uh, I've tried. Uh, Dave and I recorded an episode of Podcastrophy today. Um, whoop, whoop. That's, other than family stuff, that's really all that I got accomplished uh, this weekend. Nah, but that's okay, because it's the time of year where, like, honestly, doing family stuff this time of year is perfect. The weather, just the vibe, the energy you're you're building into the holidays, it's just, uh, I don't know, there's something about the fall, man. Mm Mm-hmm. You well, just want to be out doing things. Well, it's not only that, but like Dave and I talked about it on uh, 
the show we did earlier, like it's the time of holidays and um, just holidays and like family commitments. I mean, it's it's the busiest it's the busiest time of the year for most people. Word, absolutely. Uh, it's really strange because, uh, I've done a couple really, really like super fall feeling things already this fall Mm -hmm. that it might be my most fall season that I've ever experienced. Like, uh, on Monday, Ollie and I built this gigantic ass bonfire, dude. We just started little and just kept working on it and found bigger and bigger sticks. And then we were they live on the lake so there's this like big like wooded foresty property that their neighbors own and their neighbors mm-hmm. like listen if you find any wood just you know whatever do your thing we found these railroad ties hey tyler what do you know about railroad ties bro they're big and heavy and you're not supposed to take them unless you have permission to take them okay well that those are all great things but they're soaked in something oh yeah they've got uh tar or um you know whatever basically weatherproofing kerosene yeah yeah uh so once we got our fire cooking we had we got a couple of those the dude was like yeah have them because they're just like thrown about in his little forest area Mm -hmm. and we grabbed some smaller chunks or whatever and those motherfuckers roasted they just got roasted it was awesome i bet it it, i bet it was i bet they were fucking hot oh yeah they were fucking roasting. It was nice, and because it, it was like kind of a chilly day on Monday, so it was like kind of nice to just be by the bonfire and whatever. And then on Friday, before mm-hmm. Ollie got picked up for the weekend, he, myself, and his neighbor friend Mason threw the football. And Ollie someday will get football, but not right. right. <laughs> He's too little. I'm like, hey, run, try to try to make like score a touchdown, dude, and I'll like try to stop you or whatever mm-hmm. and he like got towards me and threw the ball at my face <laughs> that is not a touchdown at all that's you're trying to kill me knock it off right um but uh other than that man we had a fucking show in ohio and that was crazy and long and arduous and whatever but uh i'm really glad to be back on journey into comics with you tyler it's been a little bit mm-hmm. glad Where? to glad glad to be back fuck yeah man that's exactly what i am talking about like there's just an energy that we have man it's it's good to it's good to be in your presence again and to riff on shit and whatnot so i gotta know we're starting the show Mm -hmm. we're kind of rolling slow we're just vibing it we're just feeling it we're just getting where we want to be where should we start this week what do we want to Give these fine folks. There have been some newsworthy bits that have dropped. There's been lots of comics that we're behind on that we've promised to cover, which we are going to still cover. Don't worry, we're not going to give up on our coverage of House and Powers of X, I promise. Uh, What do you think, man? I mean, the most relevant thing, at least to the show that I did last week, is, you know, I talked about... um, Martin Scorsese and, and, and the things that he was saying. And, you know, in my, uh, like, my riff of, like, 
comparing uh, Martin Scorsese's work to other people in the industry's work, one of the people that, or one of the titles I at least name dropped was, um, you know, the Godfather, Francis Ford Coppola, and uh, lo and behold, here he is jumping on the bandwagon, and, um, you know, just shitting on the stuff that we love right along with Scorsese, and I just, I just don't get it, man. Like what? What are they gaining from this? They they can't they can't possibly be gaining anything other than a little bit of media coverage. You know what I mean? Well, and I think there's a lot of a lot of ways to play this. And I'm gonna answer that question, but to totally do like any professional politician before I answer your question, I'm gonna uh, deflect. <clears throat> I'm gonna give everybody what he actually said. Coppola's exact words, uh, talking in response to. Um, Martin Scorsese's comments he told French reporters I don't know what anyone gets I don't know that anyone gets anything out of seeing the same movie over and over again Martin was kind when he said it's not cinema he didn't say it's despicable which I just say it is brutal so what does he get out of saying these kind of things what vilification you know and, and Coppola man I mean the Godfather movies made some money you can't deny it they're like some of the greatest movies of all time. They made money. Mm-hmm. And you got to think, Scorsese's made his money too. But neither of them, in comparison, have made a Marvel movie check, man. And there has to be some jealousy because these are... Listen, I understand these are artists. These are purebred artist directors who are artsy. They're like the fucking OG Wes Andersons of the game, you know? Mm-hmm. They have a vision. They want to execute it a certain way or whatever, and 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 their story is multi-leveled based on not just the script and what the storytelling is there, but how it's filmed and what each scene is shot in a certain way to convey a certain emotion and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And they look at Marvel movies, and they don't get it because all they see up front is Disney blockbuster money-making machine. Mm-hmm. They don't take it at the context of what's in the movies. They haven't watched Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and fucking wept like a little bitch when Yondu's fucking funeral scene is happening. Mm-hmm. That's a powerful fucking moment. Fuck you if you think otherwise, you know? Right. Like, I just... They have the right to say what they're saying. I, I can't. You can't fault somebody for having an opinion. I just think they're trying to, like, damage the Marvel brand, and it's not really working. Because all these fans are like, What? Fuck you, dudes. Right. And I mean, I kind of am on the same page here, man. I don't know what your opinions are on Coppola now saying it, but I just... It's just like, because your entertainment is not that entertainment, do we really have to battle about it? There are people that probably love the godfather who hate marvel movies sure and they're probably people that love marvel movies that hate the godfather absolutely it's too gory there's too much death too much fucked up shit happens in that movie Mm -hmm. but are either people wrong no it's just a matter of taste so i mean opinions are like assholes on this one bro everyone's got one right kind of shitty whatever (laughs) you know where do you stand 
it's just it's disappointing, um, you know, because because Coppola is one of those actors or one of those directors that, I mean, at, at least for the like, if you're in the industry, you have to respect that guy. Um, and now you're going. I I feel like we're gonna have other people come out of the woodwork and support, or not necessarily support, but um, you know, jump on jump on the the trend that Scorsese and Coppola have started. You know what I mean? Do you know what's interesting about this whole thing too? I just thought about something because I, you know, look at the bigger picture. You always look at like even further ahead. I know when the whole Spider-Man news broke, is this really happening or is this all just a negotiation tactic? Maybe Scorsese and all these people are saying all this shit because guess what's not happening right now? There's no Marvel movies in theaters. Right. But it sure as hell keeping the brand relevant as fuck. Mm-hmm. It's keeping the fan base rabid as fuck that they're talking about it. So, I mean, it's all good press, man, ultimately. I, you know, these, these might be some damning comments. And like you said, what happens if, say, other major directors through history, Spielberg or something, comes out and is like, fuck Marvel. I don't mm-hmm. see that happening, but you never know. Um, maybe it's a desperate attempt to damage this whole um, superhero era. And the the you know everyone's been saying for the past six years there's going to be superhero fatigue and I don't really see it, mm-hmm. you know, I mean maybe people want me to see it but and I don't how do you feel about this but like I don't feel superhero fatigue at all even when I'm like oh I want to have to go see Black Widow I might not see it in theaters honestly but I do want to see the movie it's got Taskmaster it's one of my favorite fucking villains come on right yep totally agree so. If you can sell me on a Black Widow movie, you pretty much got me. Hook, line, and sinker, you know? Right. So, how do you feel? Uh, do you feel this fatigue? Is, is, is that even a real thing? Uh, I, I, I mean, I really don't, just because... Um, I mean, <clears throat> what, 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 the Mar- what Marvel and... Just the, the 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 superhero genre in general has done for the industry. I mean, there was always your summertime blockbuster, and you know there was always there was always that. But like, what Marvel's been able to do is do it multiple times a year, every year, or every other year, for over a decade. You know, I mean, pretty much whenever they want. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what uh, what movie have they come out with that was really a failure? N- monetarily speaking, I, I I mean, none. All their movies have technically been successful. They've right. always done well at the box office. Always. Mm-hmm. So I mean, realistically, the only the only failures that they have are. Movies not being 100% in the eyes of fans. You know, looking at um, Thor The Dark World. You know, that's the one that always gets brought up. It's not a bad movie. It's just not a great movie. And that's really the only negative that sets it apart from the rest of the franchise. And I think now that we've finished this chapter of the Infinity Saga, 
that movie plays a much bigger role in this whole thing than I think people give it credit for. Absolutely. Like, now that you've seen Endgame, go back and fucking watch Thor The Dark World, and you're going to be like, oh, shit, they set that up there. They set that up there. Mm-hmm. They set this up here. They even, because how fucking smart they were, without even, without even putting it in the forefront of the story, they have literally shown you the story for Thor Love and Thunder and what's coming. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jane Foster got touched by the ether. She had the power of an infinity stone inside her, and it didn't affect her body. It mm-hmm. did. It gave her cancer. It's going to kill her. So how do, the, how do you stop the cancer from killing her? Thor gives up his powers. Mm-hmm. You be Thor. You know? And and that's and that's what they're going to do. I, I, I almost guarantee it, man. So I agree with you, though. Thor The Dark World is a great debated movie on... Um, Fan reception. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that, you know, uh, when we talk about the bigger picture and how this all fits, I just think that these directors who... I, I don't even know if they're talking shit, per se, or if it's just like someone thought, hey, man... No one's heard from Coppola in 40 years. Let's see what's happening with him. Right. And then they put a microphone in front of his face. He's like, man, to be relevant right now, I can totally shit all over this, or I can just play it cool. You know? And yeah, uh, what do you think? Go ahead. It, Sorry. It, like, I, like I said, it, it's just, it, it's, it's disappointing more than anything for either one of them because they're so respected in the industry. They're so respected by fans of, you know, the phenomenon that is modern cinema. I mean, both of those directors have done a lot for the industry, and I feel like because they haven't done anything for the industry in a while, you know, you said maybe maybe that this this is like a a like sideways partial attempt at grabbing a little bit of relevance again, you know, a couple more, um, a couple more seconds of fame, however you want to label it. But I feel like it's going to end up being that whatever they have set out to do with these statements, I feel like they're going to accomplish it more than they're going to fail. Obviously, they're not going to take they're not going to take any revenue away from Disney. They're not going to make fans um, think twice about going to see these movies movies in theaters every time they release. But what they are going to do is they're going to get the people that are like cinema snobs or the people that are like right on the verge of being ultra critical about everything that 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 shows up in the movies they're going to get those people to then jump on their social media and then kind of play along with the same ideal and then it's just going to continue to to snowball and it's it's basically going to do the same thing as what Rotten Tomatoes did to The Last Jedi without the same level of magnitude. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah, totally. It's going to shift how perception of a movie is. Mm -hmm. It's going to force people to be more critical of these movies, which could be a bad thing. But, you know, another thing I think about in the overall scheme of things, 
How interesting is the timing of this that shortly after the success of the Joker movie and it being a very artsy film noir piece that's, Mm -hmm. you know, you could say it's got some heavy inspiration from Scorsese and Coppola. Well, and it's Um, not, I I think it's, not to interrupt you, I'm sorry, but it's really, it's ironic too because you have, you have the big Spider-Man news that we talked about the last couple weeks which happened almost in tandem with the release and, and instant success of the Joker movie, and then that's when these these comments really started to come out. Yeah, it's very weird. It's like there's some sort of power struggle over, you know, the the movie space right now. And ultimately, I think when that happens, you know, fans win. You, you look at the wrestling industry, wrestling is back to a different level because of what? Competition. So... When DC ups their game and a movie like Joker comes out and it's a think piece and and everyone's raving about it and talking about it and go to theaters and fucking see it, man, you know, like it changes the paradigm and makes people go, well, what if Marvel did a really artsy think piece? Because they haven't, you know, and, and maybe that brings these directors out to be like, yeah, they've not done shit because it's the same thing. Who's taking a real risk? No one's done a think piece like the Joker. You know, they're not saying that, but they might as well be. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I keep... I, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> I keep saying it's frustrating and it's disappointing. Like, like Scorsese and Coppola really care about the opinion of the average moviegoer. You know, like like these messages are directed to their diehard fans and the people, the people that only care about exactly what the way that you phrase the Joker, kind of film noir, really classical. Um, you know, th- these messages are directed towards those people. And one of the things that I'm worried about is you and I praised Rotten Tomatoes on the steps that they've taken. Uh, to not allow people to shitpost a movie to death before it's even in the theaters, they haven't stopped that from happening once a movie enters the theaters. Once it's hit the box office, people are free to post and downvote a movie however they feel. So, I don't know. I just don't want The Last Jedi or solo i don't want that kind of those kind of things to happen to movies anymore because it's it's just frustrating it it really is frustrating you know and actually i think i have a a solution for this and give me your opinion on if you think this would work what if say rotten tomatoes came out and said here's the deal from now on in order to review a movie you have to have an account with us your account has to have real identification or whatever i mean maybe you don't have to go that far I don't know. But if you're going to review a movie, you have to submit an actual picture of your ticket, which the barcode will be registered to your account. So if it is used once, it cannot be used again, you know? Mm -hmm. That way, only people who have actually seen movies can review said movies. I I, I think that would definitely be, uh, like, the ideal solution, um, or, or at least what would be almost the most foolproof, you know, but I feel like people would, would, it's the same way, like, ticket brokers aren't legally supposed to be able to buy out a concert the moment it goes on sale, but they do anyway, you know? 
Yeah, they find ways around it. Yeah. I, I think ultimately that's what it would end up being. Um, but I don't know. I mean, we have to make... We have to make strides somewhere, so surely there's something that could be done to kind of curb that. Maybe Fandango could partner with, or like maybe all the major, like Regal and Goodrich Quality, like maybe all the major different chains could partner with Rotten Tomatoes or whoever they're going to, Metacritic, whatever they're going to decide is like where everyone should go to review their movies. And if you buy a ticket on their website, they send you a link to just give your review right then and there once you've seen the movie. Like, it, it actually auto-prompts after your movie showing is over. That'd be cool. Right? I mean, it just sends you a little email ping. What did you think of the film? Rate it one to five stars. Say a couple things. Mm-hmm. It's super easy because then it's tracked. You know where the emails are going. People are getting them accurately, you know? People aren't going to create multiple accounts to buy multiple tickets to just cheat the system. It just seems like a lot of work to fudge some reviews, you know what right. I'm saying? Yeah, I, so, I, I, I agree. But I, I think you're right. There needs to be some change because, I mean, we had it with, uh, I feel like, didn't Wonder Woman suffer some from the box office from uh, the pre? Um, a, a little bit, but not near as bad as um, The Last Jedi and Solo did. Yeah, they they were definitely the highest targets uh, in all that. Uh, Speaking of which, man, we are literally less than 30 days from episode one of The Mandalorian. Mm Mm-hmm. Disney Plus. How are you feeling? I'm like... Like a kid kid on Christmas Eve, man. I can't hardly... I can't hardly contain my excitement. Okay, so I'm going to ask a genuine question because I know you're the king of unpopular opinions. What if episode one of Mandalorian drops and you hate it? Well, um, I think I will have the same reaction that I have with a lot of shows like Game of Thrones or, um, you know, plug in any other uh, super popular mainstream show of the last decade. Uh the first the pilot episode of every season is not always going to be a, a banger i mean it You're might right. be it might be a little bit of, it might be a little bit rough um for that first have we seen this is one thing that i don't know have we seen the runtime of any of the episodes no but i'm pretty sure Based on Falcon and the Winter Soldier news that was uh, leaked, that episode because they're doing six hour and a half long episodes. Mm-hmm. So, and that's for any show that Disney Plus has its original programming tied to Star Wars or Marvel. Mm-hmm. Loki will have six episodes. Uh, WandaVision six, you know all that. Today's episode two sixty six, so six is the number. Mm-hmm. So Apparently. I mean, if if it's if the pilot is the same runtime as the rest of the the series, and they're an hour and a half long, and that first hour and a half is just character introduction and it's slow, I mean that's that's what you normally expect from most pilot episodes of of any show. So I'm not super worried about it. 
But then you look at who's attached to it, the names mm-hmm. that are a part of it, the teams that are doing it. You think it's in Disney's house. They're trying to make a good first impression. If this falls flat, people are going to not buy in. And if it, and if it's amazing, everyone's going to be like, are you stupid? You have to have Disney Plus. Get Disney Plus. What are you thinking? Why aren't you getting Disney Plus? Right. You know? So they're probably going to put their best foot forward. And with John Favreau at the helm, I just don't see it being a failure. I really, mm-hmm. I can't. I can't in good conscience, knowing his track record, say he'll probably fuck it up. I think he's going to do really well. I think it's going to be a, a fast action-paced based episode that is foot on the gas. We'll get to the storytelling once we're in the season. Absolutely. You know, like we'll build all this tension. We'll have everything set up to where you want to know all these answers and you have no answers. And then we'll dive in and we'll go back and we'll tell a little backstory and we'll pepper in a little bit of the what's currently going on and we'll tie in and talk about some stuff that's happened in Star Wars lore. You mm-hmm. know, how cool would that be? Yeah, totally agree. Man, I'm I'm stoked for Disney+. Plus. Uh, you know, we, were, we jumped away from it for a second, but we were talking a little bit uh, based on the Coppola comments and everything. Uh, we were talking about the Joker movie. Mm-hmm. Apparently, this is... I don't know how true this is, but apparently Jared Leto tried to get Joaquin Phoenix's Joker movie killed. I saw that... Um, I saw that today. I, I got a notification today of that headline. And I didn't even read it because I just assumed that it was, like, super clickbait. So if you've read the if you've actually read the article, um, I'd be pretty interested to hear what it actually said. Well, it does come from the Hollywood Reporter, and they have a fifty-fifty track record of uh, reporting, you know, quality sourced news. Mm-hmm. But according, but this is this is what it says. It says according to sources familiar with Leto. When he found out that the new Joker project was coming to light, he complained bitterly to his agents at CAA, who also represent director Todd Phillips, and also asked his music manager, Irving Azoff, to call the head of Warner and get the project killed. Mm-hmm. Another source said, uh, another source is saying that he never asked Azoff to do that. Uh, as for Azoff himself, he declined to comment, but someone with knowledge, particularly the situation, said he never made a call. Uh, so who knows, but, uh, yeah, I th- and I think that makes sense. Jared Leto wanted another crack of the Joker cause he didn't really get, you know, if you think about the amount of scenes shot for the trailer of Suicide Squad versus the amount of minutes he's in the movie, there could have been a Joker movie in there that could have been cool, but it wasn't, it was really misdirect. Mm-hmm. Did you like Suicide Squad? I can't remember. I did. I I'm I f- I feel like I'm one of the like eight people out there that liked Suicide Squad even before the um extended edition. See, I didn't hate Suicide Squad on my first watch. I just was disappointed that there wasn't as much Joker and I couldn't really judge Jared Leto's Joker because there wasn't enough Joker in the movie. It's just like okay, well, he could be cool. You know? Yeah, I, I mean, know. I mean, it's it's don't great. I've I've had this conversation so many times at this point that I just automatically assume people think that I'm saying that I love the movie and that it's incredible. It's not. It's not bad. 
Is it great? It's entertaining. It, yes, thank you. Is it great? Absolutely not. Is it bad? Absolutely not. Um, it's kind of in that halfway place in between. Uh, there's a lot of things that they could have done to make it way better. Um, there's a lot of things that they could have done to make it way worse. True. You know? And you had a cool cameo with Batman, which is neat. You had a little Flash cameo, which is neat. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were trying. They tried to build this universe. They had some funny moments in the movie, like I said, and have talked about on the show. I thought that Will Smith and, um, oh, fuck, Margot Robbie stole the show, both of them. Absolutely stole the show in that movie, so... Well, I feel like um, Jay Courtney was also fantastic as Captain Boomerang. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, he was. You right, you right. Jay Courtney was pretty, pretty funny actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, which one? I can't remember. Was it Slipknot that gets blown up in the first part? Yes. Because they don't believe that the, that the collars are really going to blow them up. Yeah, uh, Captain Boomerang convinces uh, Lou Diamond Phillips's Slipknot to fucking. Um, just, yeah, just a, hey man, go ahead and take off. I'll go the other way. And, uh, come to find out that was the wrong choice. Price is wrong, bitch. (laughs) Oh man. Okay. So we're talking about Batman. Uh, I, I also saw this today. Robert Pattinson claiming the bat suit's pretty dope. I think, I mean, that's one thing that they're going to have to have just to double down on whether or not this movie's good. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of news surrounding Matt Reeves' The Batman. We had a announcement that they're going to be doing The Riddler and a casting with that. But um, real quick to touch on what Robert Pattinson had said, he was talking about uh, the few details he's allowed to discuss about the project at this point. He says... Matt has got a really awesome idea about it. I think this thing's going to be very, very cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about the subtle costume changes and talking about that he uh, apparently Matt Reeves had gotten some advice from Christopher Nolan about the suit. Mm, okay. And like, hey, you should consider these things when you're making your bat suit because X, Y, Z, it's going to affect your actor. Mm-hmm. But uh, to continue, Pattinson talks about the first time ever putting on the bat suit. He said, it's maybe the craziest thing I've ever done in terms of movie stuff. I put it on and I remember saying to Matt, it does feel quite transformative. He was like, I would hope it does. You're literally in the bat suit. Right. He goes on to say, I feel very felt very powerful immediately, and it's pretty astonishing, something that is incredibly difficult to get into. So the ritual of getting into it is pretty humiliating. You've got five people trying to shove you into something. Once you've got it on, you're like, yeah, I feel strong. I feel tough, even though I had to have someone squeezing my butt cheeks into the legs. Wow. Oh, that's funny as shit. So what did you think about uh, what do you think about this news with, that we got uh, from from the casting? Uh, I'm not a super fan of that guy, but I think he's um, he can definitely do uh, the Riddler pretty creepy, which I think you know I, I obviously haven't seen Joaquin Phoenix's Joker, but the way that Jared Leto and the last couple Jokers have been. Um, I feel like you have to be a little bit more sadistic and creepy with the Riddler. 
So, yes. Because I'm trying to think... I'm trying to think of what all movies I remember him from. He was um, in uh, Little Miss Sunshine. Yeah. But there uh, were some, like, adult movies. Like, not adult, like porn, but, like, <laughs> more more serious. Um, hold on. I'll tell you. This You're is, going I, to IMDb, aren't you? I am. Awesome. You can talk about Zoe Kravitz while you while I look this up if you want. Oh my god, dude! Totally. Thanks for that lob because I forgot about that casting as well. Because Zoe Kravitz is going to be playing Selena Kyle, Catwoman. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at one point they had Jonah Hill considered as the Riddler, which didn't come through, and apparently Seth Rogen was eyed for the Penguin, which no, I love Seth Rogen, but do not make him the Penguin. Thank you. Uh, I'm really sad Josh Gad is not going to get the penguin role because he, he said he, he didn't take it. And he would have been, I thought, really great. So we'll see who ends up playing um, the penguin. Uh, the two movies that I was thinking of were There Will Be Blood and uh, Cowboys and Aliens. That's what I remember uh, him from. I don't know, I... Like the ping, the I man, I, I'm so like wound up about it. I'm stuttering. Um, like I, I, I feel like this is Batman Forever when we need like nine villains in one Batman movie to make it relevant. Yeah, when, something different. When we just need like when in all reality we just need one good villain and that's enough, you know. Yeah, but you know what? I honestly think if you wanted to do a multi-villain story, there is literally an amazing comic called Batman Hush for Mm -hmm. people who don't live on Earth uh, that involves a ton of fucking villains used as pawns in a clever way in Hush's game. Right. That's how you do a multi-villain story where there's one dude at the lead of it all and really play the game that way. Super thought-provoking, deep, sadistic. You can maybe cut out and do, instead of like 10 like they do in the comics, do like maybe three or two. Mm-hmm. But um, but still, have somebody be a mastermind, and, and, and that's how you do it. But uh, you're right. One straight-up villain, a home-run villain solo mode, is absolutely what... Like, what about a, an amazingly dark horror driven scarecrow movie Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying like like fucking batman versus jonathan crane let's see who the fuck goes Mm -hmm. you know you got the fear toxin you send batman into all these crazy trips and you can just use all the most stunning ridiculous visual effects and Put him in the most ridiculous situations where sure you could even easter egg a couple villains there just as teasers that don't mean shit you know, but right. ultimately it's still only Jonathan Crane playing with Batman and Bruce Wayne's mind. Mm-hmm. And then maybe make it really clever and make Jonathan Crane like super aristocratic and like a, a man of the people. You know, he's a doctor, but kind of has this like dark side with this crazy toxin. Right. And and have him and Bruce be vying for the same love interest. 
the story writes itself, man. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not that hard. No. And, I mean, that's one thing that I've never understood with the writing of Batman villains. Like, you have... With the source material that you have, you have probably the easiest set of antagonist characters to write ever. Because it's all been written for you. You know? You, exactly. You change a little bit here. You change a little bit there. And you've got gold, you know? No matter what. I and just then think... it just falls I, short. Absolutely. But... I think that we're going to all be like kind of really judgy about this the Batman Robert Pattinson driven uh, Matt Reeves flick until we see a trailer. Mm-hmm. And I think once we all see the trailer it's going to do one of two things. It's going to unify all the Batman fans like wow, they're getting it right this time or humongous wedge that's already in this fandom driven even fucking deeper. Yeah. It's because it's weird, man. There are people that are fans of Jared Leto's Joker, even though he didn't do much. I didn't see, and here's the thing, too. Like, I didn't think it was bad. It was just another interpretation of the Joker that wasn't given time to be fully fleshed out. Correct. Ultra rushed. Yeah. You know, and if they would have done something like. You know, that Joker is actually Jason Todd or, um, you know, just given it, just given that character more time to come into his own, you know, we might have an entirely different opinion. Exactly. But instead of developing the character, instead of being thought provoking, they hired a guy who is already um, pretty divisive. Jared Leto's a pretty divisive actor. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So, so they hired him. And then there was all this conjecture, like, what is this Jared Leto's Joker going to look like? And then you release the first picture, and he's like, um, you know, um, mumble rapper Joker. Right. You know, like, what? It's confusing. But then you see some of the things that they're doing in the movie and you're like, Oh my God, that's kind of cool. They're trying to be like killing joke or they're trying to do this scene from this specific comic. But then those aren't even in the movie. So it's like, man, I think overall they just mishandled Jared Leto. It was a yes. huge misstep. To- totally agree. 100%. Hmm. Well, uh, jumping back into Marvel here a little bit. Did you hear about this, uh, new rumor Disney plus series? Mm mm. Apparently, because of the other news that we're going to be covering right now, because we'll just talk about it in tandem with this. So Kevin Feige is officially the Marvel chief creative officer, meaning all creative decisions run through him in every division. TV, I did, I did see comics, that actually. podcasts, movies, right? Mm-hmm. So he's the man now, okay? <clears throat> And I tell you, there's one misstep that I think Kevin Feige has, like, as, like, it's like a scar that not a lot of people talk about, and that is the Inhuman series on ABC. Yes. Absolute dog shit. It was so bad. Awful. I mean, they had all these cool characters, and they just 
blipped them all away because they couldn't afford the budget to have the CGI characters for the majority of the show, so they could only use like the CGI in the first and last episode. Yeah. So and and that wasn't Marvel Studios directly. That was through ABC, the budget they put forth, you know, the whole nines, and it fell short. But apparently it's looking to be rebooted officially on Disney Plus. Cool. Yeah. So the guy who played uh, Black Bolt said people not might not know this, but it's sort of uh, Hollywood trades. There's rumors to be negotiations going on with Disney Plus to reattempt the Inhumans. And apparently it's well known that Vin Diesel has always, always capitalized, wanted to play back Black Bolt. So there's some kind of negotiations ongoing. Cool. So I think, we could actually get Vin Diesel as Black Bolt. Holy shit. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd be okay with that. I don't know. In, Inhumans, the Inhumans TV show, I feel like, doesn't have to be super complex. Like, just give it, give it some, like... I don't know, even, like, mediocre writing... And, and just kind of see what happens, you know? I think that, listen, the Inhumans uh, debut in Fantastic Four, 45, 46, and 47. And uh, interesting characters. They're not mutants. You know, they have their own little pocket world. Uh, I think that with Marvel's actual hand on the steering wheel and Kevin Feige saying, I want it like this, I want it like this, I want it like this, put these people in charge, it's going to be a home run. Mm -hmm. Because you just need heart and good story, and Marvel can deliver heart and good story. Uh, proof in the pudding. Right. So, I, I don't know. I would love to see that actually show up on Disney+. Plus. Will it? Who knows? I think at this point we really can't count um we really just can't count anything out, you know what I mean? Oh, we can't count anything out. Thank you for the lob because I have a question for you. Okay. If we can't count we if we can't count anything out in the world we live in in the modern Marvel Cinematic Universe land and Kevin Feige helming the ship now officially as chief creative officer. Could we get the return of Edward Norton possibly as a villain in the MCU? So this was a, a, a headline that I got on my phone here recently that I am incredibly optimistic about. I, you know, Hulk being one of my most one of my most favored characters in any franchise ever, I did not really care for Edward Norton as Bruce Banner. Maybe another movie would have changed my opinion. Um, but now granted, like I've said in the past, it was definitely better than the Eric Bana version. And that wasn't Eric Bana's fault either. You know, uh, thanks. That, Ang Lee. that, yeah, that was just kind of the, the, like, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't even need to justify it because it's too tough. But, um, 
I think there is a, I mean, just a dozen, a dozen villains that you could cast Edward Norton as right out of the gate that I think would be fantastic. I mean, do you have any in mind? Because I can just rattle off a couple if you'd like. You know what's really fucked up? First thought right out of the gate, Edward Norton, Doctor Doom. Yeah, that was mine too. <laughs> like he would make such amazing Doctor Doom. His dark, sadistic side, his ability mm-hmm. to just play a kind of a scumbag, but really ultra intelligent. Like I could like, see Edward Norton doing that for sure. Like a scumbag with panache and charisma. You know, like panache. Like a lot of, like a lot of times, at at least for people who aren't fans like us, or at least in in the same realm as us, they think of Doctor Doom as just like almost like Doctor Frankenstein, just this sadistic, like almost like a mad scientist. You know. Absolutely. When in reality, I mean, he is that for sure. But I thought that the original Fantastic Four movies uh, portrayal, and I can't ever remember that actor's name. I have loved him in everything that I have ever watched that he's been a part of. Um, but that you know, in the original Fantastic Four movie, they did him as charismatic and handsome and successful, and then all of that got taken away uh, when his when his skin started to melt off. Um, I, I feel like Edward Norton could take this character or, or the character of Dr. Doom specifically, maybe in some different directions that we've never seen before. Obviously our, our, our big screen sample size is pretty limited, but, um, yeah, I mean, Edward Norton gets shit on a lot for his involvement in the MCU when just like we said with Eric Bana and and there's a lot of actors involved, you know the Inhumans people, uh, the Ghost Rider stuff. It, it it it's not their fault, you know. They had a budget, they had people writing a script. They didn't write the scripts themselves. They didn't do the directing. Um, they didn't necessarily get a good sh- a good shake at it the first go round. Um, I think another good one uh, with. Uh, Edward Norton, possibly. I mean, there's a couple Spider-Man villains that I might oh, throw, throw them throw out, out there. there. There's one right on the top of my head, but throw out your list first, please. I was going to say, as far as Spider-Man villain, um, maybe do Edward Norton as a shocker. Just somebody that's a little bit more simple, uh, not a super complex villain, but has a little bit of depth there. I think that that would kind of be in his element to take advantage of and kind of run with. Question. Uh, go ahead. Okay, so we actually already have a shocker in the MCU. Herman Schultz uh, is, is introduced in Spider-Man Homecoming. Right. Do you right. mean Electro? No, 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 no. I meant, I meant shocker um, just because... That little cameo was so small and homecoming. Okay, I understand that. Yeah, totally. Because uh, honestly, when you said Spider-Man villains, uh, I had been sitting here going, Edward Norton would also make, and it would totally, there's so many reasons why it would work, and I'll, and I'll kind of flesh a couple of them out. He would make an amazing Electro. Mm-hmm. 
Because... And, and that was one I was going to go go next through the list too. So you're you're right you... in right in line with me. Because the big thing is you can scar his face permanently as mm-hmm. Electro and make that a part of the thing so he doesn't quite look like Ed Norton. So it's not like, why is the Hulk this fucking guy? Because that's what everybody's going to do if you don't cast him in the right spot. Well, and I think, too, if you, you know, whether through CGI or uh, like a good skin cap and some makeup, make him bald like he, you know, like... um. I really loved in the Spider-Man uh, PlayStation game that came out last year. Um, you know, I really liked the artistic style of that version of Electro. So yes, you you do Edward Norton up like that, man. You you, you I mean, you've got me sold all day. Well, and think about that. Then you would have. Ju- I'm just going to put these three names next to each other. Plus a possible fourth that has still been rumored to possibly be happening here. But if that were to happen, Edward Norton becomes Electro. You would have Edward Norton as Electro, Jake Gyllenhaal as Mysterio, mm-hmm. Michael Keaton as Vulture. Mm-hmm. There are still rumors circulating that Jason Momoa will become Craven if they go Craven. Mm-hmm. Which who knows if they actually do that? I'm not sure. Well, and to uh, add to, add to that too. Um, you know, I know you're going the Sinister Six direction. There's been a lot of rumors speculating the last couple days about who they're going to cast. You know, because he also got a cameo in in um, Homecoming, uh, Matt Gargan as Scorpion. Yeah, the dude from Breaking Bad, Scorpion. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I feel like if you're going to do the Sinister Six, kind of the opposite that I said with Batman... You know, do, do, um, man, I, I am struggling talking this evening. Do all of your main Sinister Six, but then throw in a couple additional villains too. Even if you cast the, the same guy that, that was the cameo in Homecoming, um, throw Matt Gargan in there. Do, do a little bit of Scorpion stuff. Scorpion is the perfect henchman villain that's a little bit higher level than everybody else. You know what I mean? Oh, totally. Mac Gargan is, uh, you know, he's like a wannabe mob boss who mm-hmm. kind of gets bullied around by all the other mob bosses. Correct. He's like, uh, okay, guys, I'm going to show up to kick ass and, and rob this bank. Oh, you guys were robbing this bank. Would you like me to help you? <laughs> Can I help, please? <laughs> mind, mind, if I get in, mind if I get in here real quick? I'll... Uh... I'll, I'll handle this security. Oh, oh, you got that security guard? Okay. Uh, can I hold the door? No. Oh. <laughs> exactly. You, you just blew the door off. All right. Um, I'll just hang out, I guess. Looks like I'm mm. going to call it a day. Yeah, He's maybe maybe I'll thumbs. just go home. Maybe I'll grab a pizza. Yeah, I don't know. What, guys, what guys, toppings would Mac Gargan put on his pizza? I'm saying anchovy, mushroom, banana pepper. The mushroom, banana pepper I get, but anchovies, bro? It, it's Mac Gargan, man. He's fucked up. He's sadistic. He's he's insane in the membrane. Now yeah, you got me there. Okay. Anchovies <laughs> it is. Definitely. <laughs> but, um... Anchovies, it fucking is, man. Back, back, back to Edward Norton. I just think, like, 
I don't know. There's some X-Men villains I might throw out there, too, if if we're going to bring him in the MCU way down the line. I feel like of all the people that are rumored to, to enter or exit the MCU, you know, I talked about um, Liam Hemsworth, or not sorry, Liam, Chris Hemsworth wanting to step into Star Wars last week. Like, for Disney, if, if I am Kevin Feige or anyone... Uh, a part of Disney upper management, I'm going to do everything in my power to keep kind of, um, man, I'm going to try and keep as many of these horses in my stable as possible. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, totally. You want to keep your, your essentially your movie roster. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, you want to keep it lined with fucking stars and you want to keep it constantly at the top of its game, you know? (laughs) Uh, you want people, you know, if Chris Hemsworth wants to step into Star Wars, sure, because Thor can take a limited backseat and show up once in a great while. Right. He doesn't need to be the forefront. He doesn't need to be the guy making all the movies because he laid the groundwork. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like with Edward Norton specifically, while we're still talking about him, he, much like I said earlier, he doesn't... Because of his role as Bruce Banner in the Hulk, he gets shit on a lot. I feel like, you know, Edward Norton's made his money. He doesn't need to, he doesn't need to prove himself to the Disney fan base. But if they if they offer him a role, he's going to do his due diligence and he's going to put forth a lot of effort and a lot of care and give a damn for whatever role they assign him in. And it, it, it's going to turn out really well. I mean, who's to say that um, that Edward Norton doesn't become uh, Dr. Octavius, you know? Oh, my God. I, I, I feel yes. like... Yes. I, I feel like he has the talent to do... To step up to the plate of any any role, villain specifically, um, that, they, that they offer him. I agree. I think he, well, and he even said he's down to do anything, you know, mm-hmm. and him being able to kind of let bygones be bygones, let the past, you know, and I think that another thing Edward Norton has an unfortunate dealing with is he was the follow up, and, and I hope this makes sense. He was like the follow up of Robert Downey Jr., you know, and, and you see Robert Downey Jr. and how he's being handled, and I'm sure his agent's talking and saying, well, RDJ can make calls on the set about what he wants his character to do. Right. So Norton's like, well, why the fuck can't I? I'm supposed to be the same kind of thing. We're equals here. We're both supposed to be the building block that makes this thing grow. Right. Uh, so why can't I have some directive and why can't I make suggestions or changes or, or edit the script or whatever? And it leads to him being, you know, kicked out. And ultimately, like I, I've said this before too, if Marvel would have just went with their guts and trusted uh, Sarah Finn Haley, uh, she would have cast Mark Ruffalo at the jump for Hulk. Mm-hmm. And it would have a whole different shift, paradigm shift right there, man. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I never really got like to the nitty-gritty of why, of why they went with Ed Norton on the first go-round. Like, because I've read some things, 
you know, not that I'm super concerned with it, but I've read some things in the past that, like, after Robert Downey Jr., Edward Norton was the guy that they had to have, and I've never felt like Edward Norton was the same kind of actor that Robert Downey Jr. was, you know? Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man is the renaissance of that guy's life, you know? I mean... Actor from a family of actors that had a fledgling actor acting career that through substance abuse and poor decision making just like straight up fucking ruined his life. And then, boom, I'm Iron Man and now I'm a fucking billionaire, you know? And I have everything going for me. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously he turned his life around and, you know, he's not... It's not the fucking early 90s anymore, and it's not, you know, it's it's a different time. So he, he it's kind of like, um, shit. What was the guy's name that was supposed to be the next Marlon Brando? Played Whiplash. Oh, Mickey Rourke? Mickey Rourke, thank you. So Mickey Rourke was like, he was supposed to be the next Marlon Brando. He fucked his life up the same way that Robert Downey Jr. did, except he got irreversible plastic surgery, you know? Um, <laughs> yes, correct. And, I, I, like, I just, I don't, I, I don't understand, and I never have, and I've never really been able to find anything on why they had to get Edward Norton. I don't know. Why I, did it know, have to I, be him? I think that... I, you want my honest opinion. I think it has a lot to do with who owned the distribution rights at the time. Okay. And it's still, again, Wild Wild West era before we officially had uh, Disney owning everything here. Right. This is a Universal distributed movie. Mm-hmm. So Universal has a caliber cast of actors in their roster pool as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that Norton was at the top of their list, and they probably pushed really hard. Ed Norton needs to be our guy. Uh, you know, he had done really good business for them in the past in multiple other movies. So it just makes the most sense to me that they've... I mean, I'm pretty sure that, like, Fight Club was released through Universal, and mm-hmm. I think, like, Death to Smoochie was Universal. I'm pretty sure all the major Norton movies are Universal flicks. So... Mm-hmm. uh well, that makes sense then, I guess. I never really thought about it that way. But then, of course, a couple months down the road, paradigm shift, everything happens, change. We get the news that Disney's getting bought out, by, or uh, Marvel's getting bought out by Disney, and that changes everything. And then here we are, and there's still rumors that Marvel's going to throw some fuck you money at Sony and just straight up buy up Spidey. Mm-hmm. They're still talking about it. Also, breaking news, I got... Uh, a James Gunn response to Coppola. Oh, shit. This is what I was waiting for. Okay. So it says this. Many of our grandfathers thought all gangster movies were the same, often calling them despicable. Some of our great-grandfathers thought the same of westerns and believed the films of John Ford, Sam Peckinpah, and Sergio Leone were all exactly the same. I remember a great-uncle to whom I was raving about Star Wars. He responded by saying... I saw that when it was called 2001, and boy, it was it boring. Superheroes are simply today's gangster cowboys' outer space adventures. 
Some superhero films are awful. Some are beautiful, like westerns and gangster movies, and before that, just movies. Not everyone will be able to appreciate them, even some geniuses, and that's okay. Heart emoji. That's all he said. Fuck yes, James Gunn. With the big dick energy on a fucking Sunday evening. Just killing it. Homie, don't play no shit. I mean, what what more could my, like, I'm just a man. James Gunn's a fucking god. He just stood up. <laughs> he just stood up to two of the most storied and successful actors in Hollywood without ever saying a coarse or hateful word. It was all respectable and well-written. Shame on anyone who has ever looked down on that man. Dude, he's uh, he's smart. He played it classy. He he, he is the he prodigal son of superheroes. Exactly, man. <laughs> now Disney's like, we'll give you all the money. Mm-hmm. Just don't go to DC. We'll give please. you all of the money. Please, no. We'll buy DC if we have to. Just please. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> Disney's like, we'll buy DC. <laughs> hey, man, don't, that pu- be don't put it past them. They'll get it eventually. With Hey, seriously, though, with how fucked up our government it is, like... Like, they start doing away with some of the antitrust laws and some of the anti-monopoly shit. Disney will own DC. I'm telling you. That'd be something else, bro. Honestly. And then, then go- what would happen? Would we get a proper DCU? And then Probably. would we then have Kevin Feige turning his attention to help build the DCU up? Like he did the MCU. I feel no, like I, deja vu all over again. I, I feel like um, I feel like if and obviously you know, folks, Nate and I don't believe that Disney's gonna buy, uh, you know, DC Comics and or the movie rights. That that's not feasible. It's not realistic. It will not happen in my lifetime, or at least it's really um, improbable uh, that that's gonna happen. It's but called conjecture, it, folks. But if Disney was to do it and accomplish it, I feel like they would let James Gunn handle it. So you would have you would have the tandem of Kevin Feige on the Marvel side, James Gunn on the... I would imagine it would be a James Gunn, J.J. Abrams tandem, much like the Russo brothers, at least for the Infinity Saga... And they would let those that tandem handle everything DC, and that's shit. and that's when we would get shit like the Killing Joke, the Red Hood. We would get like proper Batman Beyond live action. We would just get all the like visceral and gritty badass shit. We would get uh, that's when we would get Flashpoint. <laughs> You know, we would, we, we would get we would get all the just super badass stuff because because Abrams and Gunn are just comic book nerds, man. Like, that's just what they like. So they're going to do first the and be- foremost. Yeah, yeah they're, they're going to do. I mean, fuck, we'd get a live action Blue Beetle movie and it would be tits. We'd probably get a booster gold film. Mm-hmm. Just saying we'd get like um like the big the big saga 
for the DCU before Justice League would be the fucking Lantern Saga. So it'd be it'd be ten movies that are nothing but fucking Green Lanterns. Holy shit! Or not necessarily not necessarily Green Lanterns, but the Lantern Corps. Yeah, you could tell it from all different angles. Totally. Fuck yeah, you could. Here's Sinestro's backstory and Mm -hmm. story. Here is all the Red Lantern story. Mm -hmm. Here's the fucking birth of the Black Lanterns and the Blackest Night storyline, which could be, oh, you're getting my mind palpitating. Oh, my. Oh, oh yeah. And, And then all the characters that are either on Earth or, like, you go back in time for some of the Lantern Corps stories and you've got Kryptonian involvement and it's just, there's so much badass stuff that you could do. That's one thing... I'm kind of glad that we started riffing on this because this is the lantern stuff is one thing that I think now that Gunn and Abrams are involved and and they're trying to get their feet underneath them with with Shazam and now Suicide Squad. I feel like they they and I'm sorry for using this phrase again because it's it's been my phrase of the night, but they need to double down on some lantern shit. I agree. I think it'd be really cool to see multiple Green Lantern stories. You can tell Hal Jordan's and mm-hmm. John Stewart. Well, and, and I think I think if you're going to, um, I mean, Kyle if you're gonna, if you're going to do like a big epic, and you're eventually going to do Justice League stuff, I personally would like to see John Jonathan Stewart stuff. Um, it, it just. As much as I like Hal Jordan, I feel like Jonathan Stewart's probably my favorite Green Lantern. Um, just because he's—I mean, he was the—he was the Green Lantern when I was a kid, you know. All right, I vibe that totally. Um, okay, I'm gonna—I'm gonna throw this uh, prediction possibility at you. We—we we obviously said that there's no way Disney would ever buy out DC, at least not in our lifetimes. Mm-hmm. So let's say the deal happens. And then they make a major announcement. I want you to think about this landscape-changing announcement. They say, look, now that Disney owns both Marvel and DC, there's no sense in having both companies go on competing. Mm-hmm. We're going to fold them into one company. We're going to cut some of the fat, get rid of some characters that we probably just overuse, don't need, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever reason you want to give. Okay. And they systematically fold in the Marvel universe into the DC universe. You make a whole storyline out of it, multi-issues across DC books, the final DC issues, Marvel books, the final Marvel books, you know, building to the new Disney comics or whatever the fuck they want to call it or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, That'd be, I'm just thinking about how like it happened with wrestling with WCW, WWF. They like, we're going to get rid of some of these wrestlers. We're going to keep some of these guys like, It'd be crazy because they'd be like, okay, well, we can only have one. Who do we keep? Superman or Captain America? <laughs> well, you know they're going to keep Superman, but it's going to be shitty because Captain America is a way better character. Yeah, but then you have to think, okay, well, how do you kill off Captain America? Maybe you don't. Maybe you just have him retire for good. You know, and then he's just like, a, he, again, it's comics, dude. Anybody can come back. But for the time, you make the allure that they're just going to uh, fold these universes in. I mean, would that be a smart play, or do you think that would be damning of of both brands? I think it would be both, realistically, because 
how do you how do you maintain a congruent and connected universe where you have Superman, Captain Marvel, and Thor all coexisting? How do you how do you combine those storylines to where Superman chose not to be involved in the Infinity Saga? You know what I mean? Like yeah, Superman. I don't know. I mean, I feel like that 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 would be. Uh, DEFCON level 5, comic books are dead if, like, alright, Thanos has got the Infinity Gauntlet again, and he's just going to snap Superman out of existence because then no one else can stop him. And it's like, in my mind, in Thanos' like, progression to getting the Infinity Stones, he would just build like a fucking... Uh, um, man, what's the green shit called? My brain is not working. Kryptonite? Yes, kryptonite. Thank you. Um, I got you. A fortress made of kryptonite, and then Superman couldn't get him. I mean, like Thanos is smart enough; he'd find a way around it. Fortress of Cryptotude. You know what I mean? It's just I don't know. That I think that would be too convoluted. It'd be too tough. I could see them, I think, a little bit more real realistically buying the brand and then just saying, okay, the final issue of every DC book that's out right now will be the final issue in existence. Whoa. I think that would be the more realistic play. To just, like, say, okay, we're, we'll never have Batman stories again. We're not going to go back to Superman. We're not going to tell more Lanterns or Flash stories. Yes. Ooh. Damn. That's, which, that's a spicy boy. Which I think that would be the the the, the more the 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 smarter play business wise, but in reality, you know, you asked if if it would be like positive or if it would be damning to the company. If you're the company that killed Batman and Superman, that's gonna that's gonna carry a lot of weight and that's gonna be pretty damning to your overall image. I feel like because Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman are just as much a part of American culture and Americana as Captain America, Thor, Iron Man, and Spider-Man. You know what I mean? Absolutely agree with you. I just thought of a thought. Let's check this out. What if instead of them going like the Infinity Gauntlet route with the story, they do Secret Wars 3? Okay. And it's like Battle World, but it's Battle World Marvel versus Battle World DC. And all the heroes are fighting each other because they think that's what they have to do. And you keep telling the stories where you think that one side is bad or one side is good. And then you make it to where you see the other side where it seems that the other side is good and the other side is bad or whatever. Mm -hmm. But then ultimately the heroes figure out, like, we don't have to fight each other. We can all just team up and beat this dude's ass, you know, at maybe after some casualties or whatever. And then mm -hmm. you have people who can just literally walk away from the superhero game. Like you said, what about having Thor and Superman and Captain Marvel? Well, legacy has it that Superman's kind of the the guy who you would 
say is most uh, Americana, as you were mm-hmm. talking. So keep him. You have Carol Danvers tragically die in a brilliant way trying to save everybody on Battle World. Mm-hmm. And then Thor retires because he saw this and he's traumatized and he's done. He can't, he just can't go anymore. And then mm-hmm. boom, now you have one Superman God type figure that can just stay there. And then, you know, maybe Batman and Tony Stark work together and determine that they're going to just take turns being Iron Batman. I don't know, fucking whatever. I'm just riffing here. <laughs> Man, it'd be tough though. I, I think that would be the most challenging undertaking in the history of comics to try and combine two juggernauts like that into one one solid entity. If there's too many characters, it would be almost impossible. Yeah. I mean, but, like every, every major character has 50 minor characters, you know? Right. And then 50 major villains with 50 minor villains. You nailed it. You did bring up a a nice, you know, kind of super fan thing. I would like to see a, like, ultra mega crossover event like Secret Wars Volume 3, Marvel and DC go toe-to-toe. I think that would be really fun. Just do it as a fun event. We haven't had a Marvel DC crossover event in the comics in a while now. Mm-hmm. so yeah, man. I think it. I think it'd sell books. I think it'd it'd, it'd get people talking for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, it'd be especially, something different. Especially if you did it like a limited run. Say say it drops on April Fool's Day or you know Memorial Day of 2022. The biggest Marvel DC crossover in the history of the business. You know, that, that I mean, you say limited run and anything's going to sell in the comic world, at least today. Um, throw some throw some badass variant covers out there. Bring the Watchmen in. You know, I, I just think I think it'd be really, really, really neat. Sold to the highest bidder. Mm-hmm. Everybody would be in on that. I absolutely agree with you. Uh you know, I want to talk a little bit about this. Last time you and I were on together, we talked about how Marvel is kind of pushing the forefront of um, setting the precedent, I guess, for how modern society should be. They recently, in the Marvel Comic Universe, legalized cannabis. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty awesome. Maybe Daredevil will smoke a doobie and calm the fuck down before he goes into a hallway to fight a bunch of motherfuckers for no reason. Right, or maybe maybe he'll get a little bit of his vision back. Ooh, that would be nice. Well, that'd be crazy. That'd be nice, too. That's some strong weed. You can see. <laughs> He's got it's that good good, as they the say. The weed is so good. It took this blind man, and now he is not fucking blind. Yep. But then here's the spoiler. When he's not that version of himself when he's stoned, he can't fight very good because when he sees regular, he doesn't have the same powers as Daredevil. So then he becomes a really, really good lawyer. <laughs> now, for Matt Murdock, the world's best lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's just sitting, like, dressed like the dude, like, what's up, man? How's it going? I can see you over there staring at me. I know it's shocking. I used to not be able to see, but I can fucking see you. What are you looking at? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh shit! It gives but him anyways. eyes. It gives him eyes like Steve Buscemi and Mr. Deeds. Oh my god! <laughs> Bug ass eyes. Holy shit! 
but Sorry. anyways, we're talking about Marvel and them always pushing the boundaries and modernizing and thinking of inclusion and all these different words and the concept that they took cannabis, which has been like demonized for so long. And you look at the comic code authority, they wouldn't have let cannabis in their books back then uh, in the 70s and whatnot. Then you look at what they're planning now, and I know we haven't finished our House of X, Powers of X extravaganza, which is where we're going to head next when we finish this here. But um, what comes next is the relaunch of X-Men, Tyler. And -hmm. you sent me an article, man, that is... um, I'm very impressed with Marvel's ability to um, be progressive like this. Yeah. Well, I feel like... You know, you and I have talked about it off air quite a bit. We've we've alluded to and touched on like certain subjects on air, not as much as we maybe have off air. And I feel like as much as certain people in the industry try and paint Marvel and Disney as this corporate this super corporate juggernaut that just wants money from everyone whether it's comic book fans whether it's movie fans video games uh people who want to go to amusement parks you know there's a lot of people that shit on disney for just being the biggest money sponge in society when i mean how many how many mega corporations are writing material that is uh you know, that has mainstream characters that are not, like, blatant monogamists. Yeah, man, the idea that, um, listen, we're in 2019, and to some of our listeners, they're probably going to find this as a quite a, a bit of a shock, but there are more people than you know in this world that are around you in your day-to-day lives that are in some form of a polyamorous relationship, whether it's polyfidelity or, or you know open, full-on, open, just polyamorous and just multiple, multiple, multiple partners and all that or whatever. But it's a real thing, man. Some The, the, the concept that one and one is always a thing isn't always a thing. Some people are compatible differently, you know? Right. And I think that Marvel having the foresight to know that, look, there are a lot of people out there that are in these polyamorous relationships or, or, or you know, some form of that and are very happy with their lives and have normalized their lives and have lived very nice, uh, quote-unquote, successful lives, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, a bit of experience. But anyways, um, it's interesting, though, and I think you nailed it. They took mainstream characters. They're taking mainstream characters and kind of saying, here's what we're probably going to be doing, folks. And uh, it's interesting because there's like a lot of little clues. So to tie to, to fully dive into what what you sent me, apparently uh, with Jonathan Hickman's X Men One, which is the Dawn of X relaunch event, uh, there's a chart in the book that shows the room layout on uh, the moon where Krakoa ends up. I guess is what I'm is being revealed here. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's a spoiler for our own shit that we're not done covering yet. Oops. But anyways, in this room layout, you see that there's this open door connection with three rooms. Jean Grey being the middle room. Scott Summers being one room. 
and uh, Wolverine, a.k.a. Logan, being the other room, but they're all connected. There's not a door separating each of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, so that's like one clue, and you're like, oh, wow, they're all interconnected. That's like kind of advanced that there's no door blocking each other off. Okay, whatever. But then uh, Jonathan Hickman also tweeted, I don't know if you saw this, a group of crows is called a murder. Mm-hmm. A group of tigers is called a streak. A group of mutants is called an orgy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I, you know, he's kind of alluding to it. And, you know, I think that it's it's way more complex. I think that's what Marvel's going to set out to do. And I think Jonathan Hickman is going to be the right guy to write this. Um, but it's trying to normalize the concept that if there's two ladies and a guy in a relationship all exclusive to each other, um, it's not just like some sort of sex extravaganza. Or two, real emotions. Or, two, or two guys and a lady. Or exactly vice versa. Or, you know, there's uh, the all-male triad where mm-hmm. it's three men together. That's a real thing that exists. Or three ladies together. What You know, whatever combination. Or four, the six. I mean, there's it's complex. Some people are complex in their love. And uh, for Marvel to take this gamble is really refreshing, I think. Uh, especially going into this, like, we're, you know, this is the last year of this decade, bro. Mm-hmm. Like, we're wrapping the aughts. Wrap, or we're wrapping the teens, I, I meant to say. Sorry, we already yeah, finished the aughts. We're, we're, uh, we're in uncharted waters here, brother. It's crazy. So... What do you think about this gamble or this decision that Marvel and and the X Men are making? I think I think it's you know you you go back ten or fifteen episodes ago maybe more we talked about what the X Men meant you know in the beginning of of that run you know the the original run of X Men what that comic series meant to society and what it meant to Marvel and comic book fans, it was inclusion. And let me let me rephrase that. It was the opposite of inclusion. It was anti-exclusion. Everyone Bingo. had everyone had a place because in 2019, in my mind, inclusion is a bad. It's a it's bad word. It's bad juju. You don't go out of your way to be inclusive. You go out of your way to not be exclusive. Correct. And you shouldn't have to try to include everyone. Yes. It should come natural because you're a good fucking human. Yep, and it had good messages and it was anti it was anti-racism and supported, you know, just the continuation of civil rights and and everything that the X-Men has always been um you know, this is almost like the second coming or the rebirth of that. You know, ah, it, well said. It, it's it's 2019. It is a different world than it was in, uh, you know, 1999 or uh, fucking 1949 or 1919. It is a different time. Shit needs to change. And that's well, what the that's what the X Men's all about. Well, I agree with you, and I love that you 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 said the whole anti-exclusion thing, because you're right. At the forefront, the X Men in the OG days was showing 
that everyone had their place Mm -hmm. and that everyone could belong. And even if you were super fucking different, that everyone's super fucking different, man. Maybe not everybody talks about it, but it's real. So, you know, uh, to talk about it being 2019 and moving into the advance, there's another thing I think about in this concept is like, it's also been what 40 or 50 years or something shit like that. Let's see. 64, 65. I think it was 64 the debut of the x-men so Mm -hmm. that's fucking 55 years i think that's my math 55 years yeah so it's been 55 years of them telling the story where it's scott versus fucking wolverine trying to vie for some pussy sorry i'm just going to be kind of vulgar about it but Mm -hmm. that's the fact scott summers wants gene she loves scott summers but god damn that logan dick gets her off Right. She just there's something about Logan's essence and his presence that just Gene's always been attracted to. So how do you solve that problem? Well, you just modernize the problem and you take it away from being a problem. And maybe and maybe Scott and uh, Wolverine aren't going to be bisexual men who mm-hmm. are engaging each other, but they're both going to share Gene. And that seems like a pretty forward-thinking thing there. Well, and if you remember back to the article that I sent, Emma Frost is also involved in that, too. Hold up. Say what? I think I missed the Emma Frost thing. Shit. I'm... Now I'm going to pull it back up. Pretty sure that uh, she is also involved in that. Let me pull it up here. We're both scrolling to find the article. I was I was too brash and I closed it out too soon. Uh, ah, here we go. Found the thing. Okay. Look in the bedroom assignment. So if you go back and look again, oh, hold on. It seems all but certain after X-Men 1 that Sinister is referring to the new Scott Jean Logan love triangle. The final scenes of House of X number 6, which is spoilers for our little series as Nate alluded to a moment ago, um, showed the X-Men and all their (coughs) brethren having a big party on Krakoa. If you go back and look again, that sequence suggests that Scott Jean Logan and Emma Frost are all definitely getting down with some kind of polyamorous arrangement. Interesting. Now that I'm looking at it, yeah, I can uh, I can vibe on that. I see that. Okay. So get it on with your bad selves, X Men. Proud of you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's little bit fucking of, awesome. Little, little bit of wife swap there. I think that's a derogatory term in 2019. <laughs> Wife swap? I think so. What if I, Logan? I think... What if Logan and Scott identify as the wives? Oh, see, you got me there. Mm-hmm. Damn. <sighs> okay, I was just gonna say partner swap. That's like the more geo correct. Is it, is it, is it, in, is it, um, not socially acceptable if I call them swingers? I, you know, I don't know if that's, 
I think, I think, listen, okay, I th- let's just fuck it. We're going to talk about it. We're talking, we're here, guys. We've arrived on Journey into Comics where there's a little podcastrophe sprinkled in. Look. Yeah, welcome, there we go. Well, there we go. To some, welcome to some sex castrophe. Um, I think swinging is a very different practice from the art of polyamory. Absolutely. Because swinging implies that essentially stranger you fuck my wife i get off from watching you fuck wife cool or stranger you girl you fuck me my wife watch you fuck me then you fuck her then i Mm -hmm. fuck her and you or or you're a couple we're a couple let's trade sexual partners and then let the night go where it goes yeah Mm -hmm. as to where a polyamorous relationship involves feelings and rules and boundaries and like real uh, life shit. Real life shit. Yeah, it is no cup of tea. Uh, I think it would be like uh, equating learning how to juggle, okay, um, for the first time while the tennis balls are on fire. <laughs> and you're standing in a kiddie pool full of cobras. I like that. Yes, absolutely, because one wrong move, one fell slip, slip up, and ouch. You got to wa- watch where you step in a pool full of cobras. Goddamn right. <laughs> while, j- while juggling flaming tennis balls. Yeah, which you can barely touch, by the way, just so you know, because they're not the fucking um, pens, like the fucking bowling pens that people typically juggle, that the ends are on fire, but not the other end. Right. Um. For those of you who needed the full visual of how that actually works. Yeah, so I I, I saw this, um, to get back to the article, I saw this, uh, I sent it to you yesterday, the day before, in preparation for our episode today. Um, I immediately knew that this would be something that we would want to talk about, just because... You know, with the X-Men relaunch and everything that they have been in preparation and slowly and meticulously changing and retconning um, in the House of X, Powers of X series, this is very, um, what's the word? It's very, uh, like, man, my brain's struggling again. It's very humbling and it makes me very optimistic that we as a society can get better because now now the X-Men are here to help us. You know what I mean? Yes, they're going to normalize things. Hopefully, my hope, is Jonathan Hickman being a very tactful individual. I've loved all of Jonathan Hickman's works all the way back to his God is Dead series, which is... Bizarre, to say the least. Uh, You know, his ability to write a good story is going to be hinged on his ability to not just make this a sexcapade thing, which I already know this, even being a story archetype he's putting in place, it's so much more than just basically going to be about the physical relationship these three or four or however many have. Well, and like... <clears throat> through House of X and Powers of X, where we have read up to up until this point, not necessarily where we've reviewed to, but where we've at least read to, um, you know, the theme with 
this variation of Scott Summers and the whole Krakoa movement is family. We are we are one people that is not not necessarily um, we are different than the humans because we are family. We are all united in the fact that we are different than them. And I love the theme of Cyclops, Scott Summers, being kind of the head of household. Uh, like maybe, maybe like the big older brother. Well, okay, let me rephrase that. Scott Summers is the dad and... Professor X is the grandpa, and Magneto's the the crazy uncle that that always shows up at Christmas time. You know what I He's mean? He's Rick from Rick and Morty. Totally. Yeah. <clears throat> and d- d- if totally. you're Morty. if you're if you're Professor <clears throat> X, you know that like eventually you are going to die, and yep. you want and Magneto is also going to die. Logan is one of your most reliable, I don't want to say followers, because then it paints uh, it, it paints Charles like a god or, or like Apocalypse. Logan is one of your most reliable friends and colleagues, student. But you have to have someone there to keep Logan in check. And that has always been Scott and Logan's dynamic, you know, you remove the the sexual tension between them and Jean Grey, and you put it as Scott and Logan are two brothers. They're they're Charles's children, and uh, Jean Grey is what keeps them together, but also what pushes them apart. And they the three of them need to be united. And the, the, there needs to be that triangle there to truly balance balance them out. You know, it, it's it's very hard to articulate. It makes sense in my head, I promise. No, I know exactly what you mean by that. And, and I think I can further elaborate kind of that, you know, Scott Summers is going to keep Logan in check and Logan is going to keep Scott in check. And there's going to be moments where Logan wants to go berserk and kill and Scott can just go, hey, man, what would Gene think? And boom. Mm-hmm. Right. immediately change the tone or it's going to be a moment of put up or shut up and and logan's going to be like look scott it's it's us or her and mm-hmm. we can't let her die and it's going to be okay now hero moment you know they're going to always be working together for her interest first i think at least that's how i i, I believe it will be and, and and then all the while of course she's going to be powerful and able to take care of herself so you know and take care of them when they need it Exactly, exactly. So the 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 power of three really shines, you know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because um, there is a different dynamic to that. There is an ability to lean on, you know, when one person is down. There's a lean on kind of function. It's kind of you know, it's different. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I love where this is going, and I can't wait to get kind of there because we need to. We really maybe next week should just power through a couple issues like we keep talking about doing. It's just, it's really difficult because some issues are really substantive, substantive. I'm fucking that one up. And then like this issue is not super substantive as far as what happens. There's not like a large story. It's very, very compact, but a lot 
is compact in that story. Right. So it's very substantive. I just said that all fucking backwards. No, <laughs> that, I mean that's that's <laughs> just, that's just how it is sometimes. Um, I mean we can we can really, I mean if if you want we can do like, um, House of X three, Powers of X four, House of X four, uh, maybe. I'm trying to look at my schedule here. I am I am pretty much free Friday, Saturday, and Sunday coming up. So Ooh. if you wanted to um, basically do a episode a night or knock a couple out in one episode, I am free this upcoming weekend to do as much as we need to. Okay, that's the plan. We'll definitely discuss off air um, and finalize those plans. But perfect. yes, I love that. That's brilliant. Um, absolutely perfect. So, uh, yeah, it's really interesting because this issue, uh, House of X3, really quickly summarized is uh, Scott and his team of X-Men going to Mother Mold mm-hmm. to... Take it offline. Mother Mold and the team there's attempt and at least from what I can see success of blocking this. But what it all means for these X-Men, man. I mean, let's just kind of go through a little bit here. Talk about, at least in your mind, what you thought about this issue. I think it was good. It was a little bit hard to understand... Um towards the end I feel like with some of the the mother mold stuff I, I got a little bit confused um, but one thing that I really enjoyed about this issue is there is a lot of explanation and there's a lot of name dropping of Nimrod so we get a little bit of foreshadowing in this this issue about what's to come maybe this mission doesn't go as planned and that's why, you know, in the in the future, in the issues that we've read up until this point where there's things that take place in the future or the alternate timelines, Nimrod is always a thing because this mission to Mother Mold never took place or it took place and failed. Every time, correct. Every time, mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, I really like the... The scene where every like the team's getting together and they're getting ready to take off and uh, like Archangel's like, well, why don't we just take a Krakoa plant with us and then we can come back instantaneously? And Scott just shuts it down. Yeah, and it's super smart because he's not he's going, oh, well, you would just expect us to succeed, but what if we're captured mm-hmm. and then they have our technology? Then what? Like. Are you fucking dumb? We can't mm-hmm. risk that, especially how close we are for to Krakoa being a success. Mm-hmm. I really like the, um, you know, the couple panel, uh, or it's actually more than a couple panels. The couple page, couple pages of uh, stuff with uh, Sabretooth at the and and Emma Frost at the Supermax. Yeah, re- Project Achilles. Hell yep. yeah. I really want to see more of Sabretooth 
in this series going forward, if not necessarily in this series, in the um, the rebirth of X-Men. You know, I'm sure we're going to roll right from this right into that because it only makes sense. Duh. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's too relevant not to... Um, but I don't know. I like th- this issue kind of leaves off on a cliff cliffhanger. Um, there's a lot of foreshadowing from Magneto before they take off. Um, you know, we get one of those dossier sheets at the end of the issue, and I'll just read um, Magneto's snippet here. Is and then this is Magneto speaking to Scott. For you to die, you would have to be forgotten, and no one forgets a founder of a nation. So this is kind of what I I was alluding to when I was talking about Scott is super pivotal to the the nation of Krakoa, at at least in my mind from Charles and Magneto's perspective. He would be like their, their, their general, basically. Absolutely. Uh... What was I going to tell you? Hold on. I was looking at something on this. Oh, there's a couple other dossier sheets I think worth mentioning here. Okay. We do have uh, the Sentinel to Nimrod progression mapped mm-hmm. out. And they then they kind of, after they take the Nimrod thing, we dive into, as you were saying, the details of they kind of knew the plan would fail at some point and they put things in place as we've seen. And I think that pretty sure the last issue we covered was powers of x3 mm-hmm. um the whole thing with them going on that mission in the future is to give moira the data that's needed for this mission correct so they can successfully do it whatever that means successfully well, do it it was it was be determined ha- it was half of the data so they got half of the data in the current timeline that's what Sabretooth and Toad and Mystique uh, That's right. shanghaied all the way back in issue one. And then what Apocalypse and the team gets in timeline 10 or 9, whichever one it is in the future. I think um, it's 10. You're right, yeah. Um, when they get that, she brings it back after she's reincarnated, and now they have the complete origin files they can do whatever they need to do they can plan accordingly so i'm interested also in seeing where uh like you were talking about this whole dynamic with saber tooth like i think they're showing kind of that the the x-men are going to be their own sovereign nation legitimately and it's going to mm-hmm. change everything in the M- in the Marvel comic universe. I keep wanting to also call that the MCU, but it's not. And I need to make sure to differentiate that. Well, but. now that Kevin Feige's in charge, it really is the MCU because he also has Shit. creative control of this now. Oh my god, I would love to see the House of X Powers of X story play out on the screen. It would be really confusing for people, but it would be awesome as fuck to witness. Just yeah, I, I, I agree for sure. Uh, so yeah, as we jump to the mother mold stuff, uh, a team on mother mold, which is compiled of, it looks like a Hydra agent and an agent of, uh, hold on. I'm trying, I can't, I'm having a hard time seeing here. Uh, I really can't tell where they're all from, so I'm going to stop guessing and making an ass of myself. <laughs> um, Anyways, there's a team on Mother Mold. They fucking see that there's a bogey coming in fast and hot. They realize it's the X-Men. 
and they kind of figure out the game plan like, oh, they're coming to shut it down. What do you think kind of is going through the mind of the X-Men here? Do they really think this is a we're-going-to-die mission, or is this like we're going to come in and beat that ass? I think I think they are 100% prepared to do what they need to do to make sure that this mother mold doesn't come online. Um, you know, because Nightcrawler teleports on, um, you know, he's doing some shit, and then... He- he goes to all four pillars, mm-hmm. but gets stopped at the last one and confronted. And uh, yeah, then shit pops off. The X Men's uh, Quinjet type deal lands, and they start making their way in. Mm-hmm. And then, am am I seeing this correctly? That Homeboy blows up the ship and them apparently. That's, I mean, I, I don't know if it's a, because, so at this point, Nightcrawler has bamfed back onto the ship. He's telling everyone they have an Omega Sentinel in there with them. And then I would imagine, um, you know, he is quickly teleporting all of them back onto Mother Mold, like before the ship gets blown up. And I will confirm to our audience that when we get into House of X 4, we will find out what happens to that team. Um, They do resolve it. They don't just say, hey, fuck you, we're never going to go back. Yeah, I mean, this is like our first major cliffhanger, at, at least of the series. Like, that final panel, you know, the whole the whole page is just the ship getting blown up. D fucking destruction, bro. I mean, so Archangel's fears of being stranded on Mother Mold have have come true for sure. Hundred percent. And um, what the fuck now? Did it fail? Did did the scenario that I just laid out follow through? Did they make it on the on Mother Mold? Uh, did all of them make it? Did only a few of them? You know, Logan, of course, is okay. Um, cause he's just got to float around to some atoms for a little bit and then come back. But like, it'll always be okay. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I would say this is probably my least favorite issue so far. Um, the, the big thing that we, we haven't touched on yet is this is the issue that we get the Krakoan alphabet. Yes. And, uh, I've already started learning how to read in Krakoan. Okay. Because I'm an, I'm a nerd. <laughs> no. So like, here's a real simple one for you. If you go to the very 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 first page that has the X symbol, okay, the big giant X. It says House of X in Krakoan, straight up House of X, right there in front of your eyes. Super easy. And the dot with three lines and another dot is E. I've learned that because there's two E's on the next page, and I'm still trying to decipher that one. I need to actually print off the Krakoan alphabet and go through every page, and I actually told you I want to do that. I'm probably going to do that as a part of the when we wrap up the House of X Powers of X run. That'll be cool, and that way we can see if we missed anything that's kind of been totally. hidden, hidden in plain sight. Absolutely. 
Um, so also, th- I just saw that X Men One. I'm going to be uh, getting to you shortly. Awesome. Yeah, I thought you'd like that. So yeah, I mean we we've we're um, halfway through the series, as it were. Um, really, we're only a couple weeks behind as far as when the books release, because Powers of X. Um, the, le- the final issue of Powers of X dropped on the 9th. So, realistically, we're only a week and a half behind. Yeah, and with our plans that I want to talk to you about uh, this weekend, which, like I said off-air, I'll explain in detail, um, we should be able to be pretty close to caught up within at least two weeks. So Perfect. Um, yeah, then and then and then what I would like to do is... Maybe we can alternate and do every other week. We'll do one week X-Men, one week the Absolute Carnage run, because I would love to cover that as well. You you, you got me. You don't have to convince me. <laughs> okay. I didn't think so, but I, I mean, you know, I don't want to just, like, demand everything. We're going to do it this way, damn it. <laughs> I just really slammed my fist down to nothing. It was on my couch, so it did nothing. It's like, ooh, fluffy, nice. Fluffy and nice. That's the episode title, Fluffy and Nice. Done. Okay, well then I'm going to ask this question, my brother. Go ahead. If you rate this one, where would you rate it? Even though you said it wasn't your favorite, I mean, will it still get an out of five rating to kind of get an idea of, I mean, did it give you something? Well, I've, I've kind of done, I've done every episode, or every issue up until this point out of ten. Oh yeah, um, do in ten. My bad. So I mean, it's it's not bad by any means. I'm not saying that. I mean, the first I'm gonna say the first three issues of House of X. I've, I've loved every issue with the art and the dialogue and the dossier sheets. Powers of X one, Powers of X two, you know, kind of get trippy and weird and with all the time jump and stuff and. Um, you know, the art's still fantastic, so I rated those pretty much a 9 out of 10, I think, on both as well. Um, this one, I think, really is the only one that's below an 8, I'm, and I would put it at like a 7.5. Yeah, like I said, it's a smaller issue as far as what the story tells, and it doesn't mm-hmm. jump around a lot. It's very focused. Uh, I do appreciate that. I do think that because it's a cliffhanger, it is an incomplete story, which does knock its value a little bit. Right. I would say seven, five, eight. You're, I mean, you're dead on with where you rate it usually. I mean, not to always follow your lead, but you pretty much nail it uh, with these issues. Uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, once we cover House of X4, which will definitely be a part of the next uh, run of, of things we're doing, we'll find out more about what happens to this team. Did they succeed? Did they fail? Who's fucked up from it? who's going to come out okay, and uh, what is the future now of the X-Men now that we've got uh, hopefully the mother mold offline, it seems. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you this, because this is, before we get out of here, this is a, one of those hypothetical nerd questions that, you know, we used to ask each other as kids kind of thing. Do it. Could Nightcrawler teleport from where he's at right now before the ship blows up to Earth. Um, <clears throat> hmm. 
My guts would say yes, because technically, per how I understand his powers, he can transport anywhere he can see. However, if we're following the protocol of like how Dark Phoenix the movie did it, or kind of how they even lay it out in this comic with Kirk's powers being uh, Kurt's powers being low level and 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 low profile, it kind of seems that he he only can be in an immediate vicinity of something for it mm-hmm. to work. So that's kind of what think I was so. thinking. Yeah, I actually ultimately don't believe so. Oh, I just saw. I'm looking at uh, my site of comics with stuff, and I just saw a story that I never covered on Journey into Comics that mm-hmm. Marvel did a few years ago called Original Sin. And it's really good, and maybe we'll cover it, you and I, at some point down the road. It's cool. really it, It's a story about who killed the Watcher. Ooh. Yeah. It's fucking doubt. <laughs> I'm a big fan of it. I have all the variant covers and shit. Fuck yeah. Hails, yeah, brother. Um, well, bro, is there anything else uh, you want to add on our episode before we uh, jump the hell out of here? We've had a really nice, long, successful, dropout-free episode. Welcome to talking on a cell phone. <laughs> get. Uh, I just want to urge everyone to continue to get amped up for the Mandalorian and Disney plus and fucking episode nine, man. Like Dave and I talked about this today, like how stressful the holidays were. You know, I, I talked about that all the way back to the beginning of this episode, but like my birthday is the 29th. And then immediately after that, you have to Halloween two days later. And then you know, the month of November is going to go by incredibly fast. We're going to have Thanksgiving. Everybody's going to be all turkeyed out. And then it's going to, we're going to have two weeks of turkey sandwiches and then be right in the Christmas season. And it's going to be fucking Star Wars time. I'm going to be turkey drunk, bro. We're going to be fucking turkey drunk, sitting in the movie theater. Pulling a fucking turkey sandwich out to watch episode nine because we still have leftover turkey. We're still planning on doing the thing together for that, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, I I, I I assume so. I thought. I mean, I thought we kind of talked about it, but you know, I've lived a thousand lives and smoked one too many in my day. <laughs> <laughs> Just to keep it a little bit too real on the podcast right now. Um, so I didn't, I just couldn't remember if we officially locked that down or if we had just like loosely thrown that at the dartboard. Well, I think, I think we did kind of just loosely throw it at the dartboard, but I also feel like that's kind of setting plans in motion enough for you and I that just a couple weeks out, we're like, okay, here's what we're doing for it. Here's, here's what we're doing. And oh, actually, you know what? Defcon uh-huh. five, let's roll. Well, interesting, bro, because I just thought of something and it'll coincide with something you and I talked off air a little bit about that, you know, behind the scenes plans. There's another show planned for the network um, that's going to be doing uh, it's like a two episode a year thing. It's like a special event. Mm-hmm. I think shutdown is right around the time Star Wars drops. So maybe we can plan a thing a double thing. That'd be cool. Cause then we could get them involved too also as well. And then that's amazing. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I Maybe dig we it. We could do that'd be the cool first thing. Go see Star Wars in our with our podcasting brains on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm down. That was elusive as shit. Or if not before, and, at least afterwards. Totes my goats. Anyways. I hate you. Yeah, I know you do. I had to throw that one in there. Sorry. Please don't. Um, <laughs> just don't. Okay. Uh, anyways, folks, you guys know you can check out the Journey Into Comics podcast right here at journeyintocomics.com. Get us on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher Radio, Google Play Music, Spotify, CastBox, TuneIn, and many others. Actually, it's not iTunes anymore. I need to start saying Apple, Apple Music. Podcasts. Or Apple Podcast. Thank you. Get us on Apple Podcast. I'm going to fuck that up. I'll keep saying iTunes. Just know in my heart I mean Apple hey, Podcast. I said iTunes when Dave and I recorded today, so. It happens, I'm, man. But search Journey, Journey into Comics Network is all they have to search, bro. And then they can also go to patreon.com backslash Journey into Comics. Give us a buck. We give a fuck. Give us a dollar. We'll give you a holler. Thank you for supporting us to all of you who do support us. Two people. <clears throat> right now, folks, we are at the official sad end of a great episode of Journey into Comics. I'm glad to have my buddy Tyler back. Thanks again for covering last week, man. I can't thank you enough for that. Seriously, it means You're the welcome. world. You stepped up and knocked out the goddamn ballpark, man. But uh, I think that's going to do it, bro. You good? Yeah, I'm good. All right. Hell yeah, man. Well, I think that's going to do it for this week's episode of Journey into Comics. It's Journey into Comics 266, Fortress of Cryptotude, Fluffy and Nice. I'm Nate. And I'm Tyler. And as always, pop your caps back and fill your brains with shit. Later, guys.